All right, so we are in the last third, actually only about three, three sermons, three, four sermons left in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we are in one of the most favorite passages in all of the Bible for me. It's one where Jesus is expanding on the heart of the Father. He said in the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer, which is the, like the true center, the essence of the Sermon on the Mount, right in the middle how should we talk to God? How does the creator of the universe want us to come to him in conversation? And there's this mind-blowing beginning where Jesus says, start with this, our Father. Unprecedented in all of human history, in all religion. To have that primary concept of how we are to approach God as we are his children, he is our good and perfect heavenly Father. And this is one of those passages where he expands on that nature of what our Father is like. So let's read it, and we'll dig in. Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So Jesus speaks about two fundamental spiritual elements that when they come together, there is a holy explosion of God's kingdom into and through our life. Those two elements are your part and God's part. Your heart and God's heart. The first element Jesus explains like this, it's essentially a call to actively seek God and ask him for good things. That's your part. God doesn't do that for you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. These are commands from our Lord and King. These are not optional, except at our own peril. Thank you, babe. I'm glad you like that. <laughs> it's a command to ask Seek, knock. 
But don't take it as a command that's like this, you know, oppressive rule. Jesus, every single command of Jesus is an invitation to more life. He commands us because he has created us to have a real relationship with God. And like any real relationship, the greater the investment in a healthy way, the greater the intimacy. He's honoring us, saying you play an absolutely critical part in your relationship with God. So there's a call to actively pursue God. Seek. And the contrast is, because of the genuine nature of the relationship, if you don't ask much, don't expect to receive much. If you don't seek much, you won't find much. And if you don't knock much, you won't see many doors opened. It's beautiful. I love it because it's simply at the end of the day just a call to genuine relationship. There are no relationships in your life that are great and healthy and fruitful and life-giving that you don't pay active attention to on a daily basis. And that's really all Jesus is saying here. If you want more of the kingdom of God in your life, then God will be, needs to be, that focus of our heart, mind, and strength. And there's a beautiful freedom in it. If you want to know God's love more, ask him to encounter you. Ask him. Seek it. If you want to know and learn what it means to live in his strength in hard times or supernatural power to display a life of miracles to others, then seek that out. I mean, I really don't know anybody that haphazardly came upon a supernatural life. There's a reason why 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says, earnestly pursue the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. If you're sitting around wondering like, well, why don't I get prophetic words? Why don't I hear from God? There's a really good chance you haven't earnestly pursued over a consistent, long, persevering, period of time and that's not a bad thing or that's not like a, a condemning thing that's just a so the good news is it's a real relationship so you can pick up that pursuit of anything of God at any time you're still breathing it's not too late ask seek knock Part of this is the relational dynamic that God is not going to force his kingship into our lives. If we choose to coast through life, not investing our time and energy into knowing God intimately, into encountering these deeper and greater things of him, then we won't. 
So there's both freedom and responsibility. There's freedom in it because we can know for a fact God's not going to coerce us into things that we're not asking for, that we don't want, but it also soberly calls out our part that no one has ever just woken up one day accidentally close to God. It doesn't happen. Ask, seek, knock. And if we're honestly sober about our life, we could see Jesus' wisdom in that what we are seeking after is what we're finding. Where in your life right now are you investing time, effort, energy, passion, focus? That's where you're seeing a return. And that's this amazing freedom of choice that we have as humans. What are we going to put our focus on? What are we going to put our energy towards? And Jesus' invitation in, in the command is ask, seek, knock, spend your time and energy on the things of God's kingdom if you want to see God's kingdom increase in your life. And that gets us to the, the second element of the passage, which really is an answer of some sorts to the question of, well, why, why, why should we ask, seek, and knock? The second element here, we got our asking, our seeking, our knocking, and then the second element is God's heart. We ask, seek, and knock because God is astonishingly good, better than any of us even know. And he delights to give us good things. It's right there in the passage. Only good things. Jesus said it like this. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil or sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? To me, this is like... God 101. What is God like? What is the nature of God at the fundamental level? How does God want to be known? How does God see you? These are deep existential questions, meaning questions about our very existence in the world. Who is God? Who are we in God's eyes? If nothing else in the Bible paints your concept, paints the canvas of your heart, your soul's concept of what God is like, if you just have this right here, you'll be doing really good. Really good. 
Jesus is expounding on, revealing further the heart of our Father. And he wants to destroy lies that we all carry about God. And at the end of the day, the message is so simple. It's that God is overflowing with goodness to you, toward you, like a perfect parent. Overflowing, I think, is a helpful and key word because that is the pictorial or picture essence of the biblical word of love, agape. It's an overflowing goodness. It's like a fountain. It's a spontaneous, eternal, overflowing. It's uncaused. You didn't make it happen because of your goodness, because of your works, because in any way you impressed God and earned it. It's just flowing, and you are the blessed recipient of a good God who overflows with love. And so Jesus is wanting us to get down to that deepest, most vulnerable, childlike, raw place in our heart that wonders what is God actually like and can I trust him? Is he good? And Jesus wants us to believe and feel and know that he is overflowing with goodness, that he is good and only good, and he loves, delights to give good gifts and only good gifts. So he uses an analogy that we can all relate with. Love for children. Even earthly parents, imperfect ones, do good things for their children. The parental instinct to do good for children is one of the most natural and strongest motivations that humans have. I mean, it's obvious. We know it. We feel it. Across the world, if you want to stir up righteous, healthy compassion, you share the plight of kids, and appropriately so. Earthly parents will do amazing things for their kids. You know, people talk about that motherly instinct or the fatherly instinct that we saw that picture today of, of toy with, you know, holding, if you couldn't see it, it's kind of far away, but he's just got both hands out. He's holding the hands of these tiny little kids, and there's like seven or eight of them just kind of like little magnets hovering around the, you know, as he exudes the father's warm love, and they just magnetize to it. It's beautiful. It's very natural. Mothers, fathers, grandparents, grandmothers, grandfathers, spiritual parents, spiritual fathers instinctually will do unbelievable things for their kids, even lay down their life. It's like a natural instinct. Sometimes you don't even think about it, and it's happening. On kind of a, a lighthearted note, I remember quite a long time ago when both my wife and I 
watch this instinct happen quickly. It was probably 13, 14 years ago. I was celebrating a birthday, and my father-in-law was in town from Chicago, and he invited, us to, invited me to go golfing for the day and uh, spent some time with him, so it was cool. Don't get to see him very often. Not much of a golfer, but loved my father-in-law. Said, hey, that'd be a nice way to spend some time uh, as a birthday present. And so we're getting ready. We, you know, call out the rental clubs. And so our, our kids are, Paxton doesn't exist. Daniel's like three. KJ's like seven or eight. And <laughs> so we're waiting around for those rental clubs to come out. And the next thing we know, like <laughs> in a half second, Daniel's little adventurous, evil Knievel, chubby self hops in a golf cart, just grabs it, floors it. I mean, pedal to the metal. He's standing. His tiny little self is like eyes barely over the wheel, and he's going, and he is headed literally straight for the golf bag holders, which may be a throwback from the 70s. They looked like swords. They were like three feet long each, just thick, hard metal, and, and like a tip on the end. So it's like my son is flooring a golf cart 15 feet away, headed straight for death by swords. And in, in three seconds, all sorts of stuff happens. My wife like flies out of nowhere, gets in front of the, the metal swords, and goes like this. In hindsight, not her wisest move but motherly instinct, and I don't know where I did. I levitated into the car, like threw him out, knocked, you know, hit the emergency brake, and an angel caught him. No, I'm just kidding. He was somewhere in the car. I think I smashed him. But it, all in three seconds, you know, disasters averted. And we looked around, and we're like, <laughs> and Dawn's like, <laughs> we kind of laughed at her. It's like, wow, great instinct, but interesting choice of location. But it was all just right, and it's, you know, it's like you don't even think about it. I've never moved that fast. I'm still sore from moving that fast. I pulled a muscle. But he's like, what, what just happened? There's these instincts of care, nurture, protection, provision, and that's kind of just a silly, extreme story. But we, we can all feel it, right? That where does that come from, that parental love that's willing to do so much for our kids, that's willing to sacrifice at great cost in a way almost without even thinking about it because we value them so much. Could that be but a sliver of the actual heart of God for you? That's actually what Jesus is trying to say. He is using what you, you might call a lesser to greater argument. If you remember back to a logic class in college, he goes lesser to greater. So the idea is, well, if parents who are imperfect and even sinful, if they will do good things for their kids, here's the greater, how much more your father in heaven in other words, who is better than you, who is greater than you, who is perfect compared to you. But if you reverse engineer it, go backwards, what Jesus is also saying is that you can know the amazing goodness 
of the love of your heavenly father, your perfect heavenly father, through seeing the remarkable goodness of imperfect earthly parents. Because his love has to be infinitely, exponentially greater than ours. God used this logic on me a number of years ago to have a life-transforming revelation of this passage. I shared it before, but given that this is the passage, it's worth sharing again. It was shortly after our oldest son was born. So this is probably 18 years ago. Our oldest son is 20, almost 21. And I, both my wife and I, would put him to bed at night by singing to him. Both rocking chairs, standing up, we'd pace around the house. We loved it. Like there, there was like our, uh, the, the capacity of our heart to feel love, to feel delight exploded when we had our first child. I'm sure many of you have experienced the same thing. Like, I, I remember feeling like I, I had never experienced the capacity of my heart to have such that spontaneous, overflowing goodness towards something, towards someone. You know, those, there's those original emotions, original first parent emotions of wrestling with, what the heck? Like, I would do anything for this kid. I want nothing but good for this kid. I delight in him so much. I'm, I'm, I'm singing to him for 45 minutes to an hour, and, and I'm rocking him, and, and my back hurts so bad. <laughs> but this is, my heart is so full. I don't want this to stop. I think I like this as much as him. I think I probably like this more than him. I'm enjoying myself in an unbelievable way because I delight so much in him, like there is such a level of like warm-hearted affection for this treasure that God has given me. I don't want this to stop. Even though I feel like a zombie and we created a little monster by singing to him for an hour every time he went to sleep, well, that's cool when he's like a month old, but you know, when he's four, <laughs> like get to bed, kid, you know, like we love you, hug me in the morning. That was our own choice, so we did it. But, man, our hearts were so full. Such holy delight. And in the midst of that one time, I remember God directing my heart upwards in a moment. And through the Holy Spirit, I believe he, he spoke a revelation and he said, this is a sliver of how much I delight in you. And I remember kind of arguing with God. Like my initial response was like, ah, you know, that, 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 that can't be true. That was, my, that was my honest, like, no way. Like, that can't be true. This this is too good to be true. This is too, 
the delight is too warm, too pure, too good. Like, I, I don't get it. And I felt like God asked me a question that brought a cascade of revelation. Felt like he then said this. Well, are you a better father than me? And that was a life-changing interaction with God. Because the rhetorical answer is an obvious no. And, but the implications of that answer are a cascade of revelation of the heart of God. Because if I'm not a better father than God, what does that mean? What does what I feel, the delight, the agape overflowing goodness that I feel towards my son, if I'm not the source of that, if I don't have more of that than God, and in fact, the more you contemplate that, that's ridiculous beyond measure, the only logical conclusion, which Jesus speaks to in Matthew 7, is no, what I have towards my son is from God, and it's actually only in comparison a tiny little portion of the infinitely perfect, overflowing, agape goodness and delight that God has towards me and you and everyone on the planet. My life forever changed. God used my own parental love that is a gift from him that I could relate with to reveal to me the nature of his abundant love. And that's what he's trying to do in this passage. He's trying to appeal to parents who can relate to doing good things for their kids. And Jesus says, you feel that? You feel it? Well, in comparison, that you, your goodness, your delight, your love, it's even evil in comparison to the pure love that overflows from the heart of our Father in heaven to you. The best parental love on earth is but a tiny portion of the perfect parental heart of love of our Father in heaven that he has for each one of us. And in that, Jesus wants us to get out of our heads the idea that God ever gives his children rocks or scorpions. He only gives good gifts. If your understanding of God includes that he will give you rocks and scorpions for some little will, you're in a danger zone. 
you are outside of the clear teaching of Jesus. It's that simple. And we work hard in this church to not live outside the clear teaching of Jesus. Even though it's all over the place in Christian culture. Oh, well, God allowed this and God did this and God's going to grow my character by killing my wife and all sorts of crazy stuff that doesn't pass the simple rocks and scorpions test. The enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. So if you have death, loss, and destruction, what did Jesus say? It's the enemy. But I have come to give you the abundant life. I have not come to give you rocks and scorpions. Not even evil parents do that. And I am perfect. So that impetus you have to only give good gifts to your kids, that's evil in comparison to how much my heart perfectly only gives good gifts to my kids. That will radically change your life. Radically. If you can believe it, know it, feel it, expect it. When you are going through hard times that feel like rocks and scorpions, and they might be rocks and scorpions, what does the enemy come to give you? Death, loss, and destruction. I'll put those in the rocks and scorpions. So Jesus doesn't say rocks and scorpions don't exist. He just says they're not from me. So don't give me credit for the work of the devil. I'll take the good stuff <laughs> as what I want credit for. The good gifts. The redemption. The healing. The wholeness. When you're saved, healed, delivered, my shalom into your life. Give me praise and gratitude. The stuff that's the hand of the enemy, call it for what it is, rebuke it, command it to stop, command to be delivered, command it to flee, and say, kingdom of God, as it is in heaven, so also on earth. That will change the way you go through hard things. Because if you're going through hard things and the concept of God in that vulnerable, childlike place of your heart is, well, God's doing this to me, you will start to feel like an abused child. And you'll behave like it. You'll be scared. You'll feel abandoned. You'll have fear, anxiety, depression. Because what can you do to stop God who's doing all this rocks and scorpions? The most important thing you can do is have a transformed mind according to the teaching of Jesus. God doesn't give rocks and scorpions. He is good and only good and only gives good gifts to his children. And so we have the opportunity to wake up every day in a beautiful, childlike heart that says, no matter the circumstances, I ask, I seek, I knock, 
for more of the kingdom to come into my life as it already is in heaven, so also on earth. And the root of all of that is because you are my perfect heavenly Father who only wants good things for me and only gives good gifts. If you're following in your lift notes, a good one to fill in is that Jesus wants you to be able to wake up in the morning in the midst of whatever challenges you are facing, believing slash feeling, and I put both of those words in there because Jesus calls us to trust him, but we got to be careful that we don't have that trust, that belief be just like a mental assent. And there is, a, there is healthy emotion to it when God has brought revelation to your heart about the nature of God. You can't help but feel in that deepest, vulnerable, most childlike, raw place in your heart, you feel. And when you've had an encounter that God is the perfect heavenly father, you feel. You feel that. And belief flows and sprouts out of that. And so the idea is that God wants to reveal his nature, his good nature to you in such a way that in the midst of whatever challenges you face, you wake up believing, feeling that God's heart is overflowing with goodness towards you and then expecting, that's the other key word, expecting that he will only give you good things. Expecting is a key word. Like an excited, expectant child, knowing that your heavenly Father's got good gifts for you today, Jesus wants us to trust God in this way and thus ask, seek, and knock. This beautiful truth will break the orphan mindset that the enemy works so hard to try to implant in us. I mean, the enemy's always doing a counterfeit, so what is the primary or one of the primary images of who God is and our relationship with God, especially in the visionary manifesto of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount? It's perfect father, beloved children. So if you don't think the enemy is going to do everything possible to distort that picture in your life, sober up. He's coming after it. Anything he can do to implant a lie in how you see God as that parental figure, that heavenly father, or a lie in how you see yourself, it's going to break or cause a disconnect in what Jesus presents as one of the primary ways God wants to be known and how God wants you to know your identity. A perfect heavenly parent breeds confident kids who know they are loved, know the goodness of their parent, 
and know that it's good and appropriate to ask and to seek and to knock. And that that's not, that's not an entitlement mindset that's treating God like Santa Claus. I mean, you can do that, but when you're in, in an unhealthy way, but all you got to do is submit that heart to what is God's kingdom agenda read the word, read the Sermon on the Mount. What are more of the things that Jesus paints the picture of God reigning in your life, the kingdom of God, because that's the stuff that's free reign as a child to ask, seek, and knock. I want more. I want more. I want more of your kingdom breaking in my life. And that's appropriate and healthy to be a confident kid when you know who God is and who you are in his eyes. I mean, you think about, I think about my own kids, and again, it relates and it makes sense. If my kids are outside, and they're, you know, they're playing and they're doing, a, you know, they're just having fun, they're out, that's great, and they come in and it's, you know, about six, seven o'clock and they're hungry and they say, hey, dad, hey, mom, can we have dinner tonight? And I don't say to them, how dare you expect food in this house, you entitled little brats. Go get a job and buy your own food. <laughs> now, if they're 30, they might be approaching that as an appropriate response. When they're 10, that would be a horribly inappropriate response. And in fact, it would dishonor me as a parent if they were to come in in fear that they're not going to get fed. And that's a problem, right? I mean, that's homes of abuse have that kind of dynamic where children are scared that their parents won't meet their basic needs of protection and provision. So it does not honor God to in any way treat God like that. Or, no, I, I, don't know. I don't know if you want to answer this prayer. I don't know if you want to take care of me. I don't know if you want to. We, we have to be very careful in the church that we don't allow false humility to masquerade for an orphan heart. What I mean by that is I hear prayers sometimes of like, oh, I, I don't... I don't need to ask God of anything. I'm just here to serve. However God wants to use me, just use me. I don't need, to ask, I don't need anything from God. He's, you know, he's, he died on the cross. He's done enough. I just use me. And I hear it sometimes and I cringe. Because it's like, just use you, use you, use you. <sighs> now, <laughs> I'm not saying serving God isn't a key part of our identity. But if it's not flowing first from the place where you know you are his beloved, and it's just, I want to serve, I'm going to serve, I'm going to serve. Well, do you know how to bask as a beloved child of God? Oh, that's kind of sissy stuff. I don't know. It's weird. I don't want to serve. If you don't first know how to be a child of God, serving, serving, serving sounds to me more like a slave. A slavery mindset. I have a wicked taskmaster, and I just got to do stuff to earn love, attention, affection. I don't know. The beauty of Jesus' teaching 
We're not first servants. We are first children. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. Get into that most vulnerable, childlike, raw place in your heart and let the perfect heavenly Father minister to you. Let him reveal to you that just like you as a parent, biological parent, grandparent, spiritual parent, have these abundantly good instincts towards kids, full of delight, let me delight in you. Let me show you my delight in you. Let me show you my warm-hearted, unbelievably good affection for you. Where I even sing over you. See, that's in the Bible, Zephaniah 3.17. He sings over you like I did with my little boy. Stephen says he sings over you. He twirls around. It's a weird Hebrew word that means like twirling around, dancing in delight of shouts as he sings over you. That's the deepest core of his heart for you. <laughs> to put yourself in that place of that child that is delighted in, sung over, danced over, shouted about with glee. That will put a strength in you that puts a sword in the hand of a warrior that yes, you want to go out and serve. Out of being loved in ways that were previously above and beyond what you could ask or even imagine. Let's close our time. I want to ask you to be quiet before the Lord and be bold and confident in seeking him right now. Allow yourself, allow the Holy Spirit to take you to that place of childlike vulnerability. The raw place of how do you really feel about what God is like towards you? What do you actually believe about the nature of God? And I want to ask the Holy Spirit just to minister right now. I'm not saying it's going to be life-changing. Maybe it will be. For some, it will. But if nothing else, may this time begin an ongoing asking, seeking, knocking, pursuing 
of greater revelation of actually how perfect and overflowing and pure and good your heavenly Father's love is for you. Holy Spirit, we ask your presence. This is impossible on our strength, supernatural only you can do. We invite your Holy Spirit to bring true revelation of the Father's heart. Dance a new dance like David.